This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 346. And the quote of the day is from Charles C. Noble, who said, you must have long-term goals to keep you from being frustrated by short-term failures. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What is up, everybody? I hope you are doing well. If you're listening to this on the day it came out, Merry Christmas to you. It is 12-25-17, and I hope you are either driving to spend time with some family or just kicking it with some family in your downtime, and I hope that you are sincerely having a great holiday, and if you uh, are listening to this after Christmas, then I hope you had a fantastic holiday for those of you who, who do celebrate that. So... Uh, that said, I am. I pre-recorded this, but I am in Pennsylvania and on my way now to the in-laws in New Jersey, and I'm going to spend some quality time with them as well. And I think about the holidays, or I think about you guys during the holidays often, and I think how grateful I am and how appreciative I am that I get to do this every day for a living. And so I want to thank you sincerely from the bottom of my heart for for making this podcast a reality. I mean, this is episode 345. That's insane. So the fact that I've done this many episodes is a testament to you, the listener, and I appreciate you, every single one of you. So thank you for being here. I'd also like to take a minute to thank DW, the sponsor of this podcast. They keep this free for all of you, and they have been doing that since the beginning of time. And they support this podcast, and they foster a ton of different drumming initiatives all over the world. And they've been doing so since the 70s. They make handcrafted, amazing drums here in the United States. That's part of what they do. The rest is they push drumming forward in a lot of unique ways. So please do yourself a favor, do me a favor, go to dwdrums.com and learn more about that amazing company and family of people who are continuing to push the boundaries of drumming. So please do that. Now that that's out of the way, let's get into this conversation. This is with Jason Seacrest, and he is the drummer from Portugal the Man, and you've probably been hearing Portugal the Man all over the place. They're on a bunch of commercials, they, you know, they're in the Billboard, I think they're in the top 100, you know, like top 10 Billboard song or something like that around there, and they were just on the American Music Awards, they have that song Feel It Still, that's really, I guess, burning up the charts as they used to, I think Casey Casey used to say that, they're burning up the charts, but I heard them, I forget where I heard, oh, actually, I heard them on a commercial, and then I Googled who they were, or Shazammed who they were, and have just been a fan of this band ever since, and as they're going up the charts, I'm sort of rooting for them, thinking, you know, it kind of feels like they're the home team or something like that, I don't know why, but I really love this band, and and Jason and I have a great conversation about how they got started, how the whole thing happened, how they started to build this audience, I mean, they've been a band for a very long time, they've been a band for like 13 years, so it's not like it was some overnight success thing that happened, and it's a really interesting story, they talk about how they build it slowly, how you know how the whole thing came together and everything like that so i will let him tell the story because he's a lot more detailed about it too so let's get into it with the one and only jason seacrest jason what's up my man how's uh how's portland oregon treating you absolutely wonderful really enjoying the uh november season all the fall leaves have dropped and so here we go time for winter are you a uh, 
Are you a Trailblazers fan? Sure, absolutely. I love NBA. Yeah? Oh, yeah. They're, I mean, it's the one sport I really get behind. Everything else, not so much. I don't have time for all the sports, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think. <laughs> my, uh, my, one of my best friend's dad uh, used to be the GM of the Trailblazers. No kidding. Yeah, John Nash. Was this a uh, 90s or? No, this was um, about 10 years ago. He was wow. Yeah, he was the GM of the Trailblazers, and uh, and his son J- Brian Nash is one of my best friends. We played in a band together for I don't know, fifteen years or something like that. So it's a good while. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, we were wow. we did it for a while, man. <laughs> wow, that's excellent. Um, so interesting. Interestingly, how I know about you, how I know about Portugal, the man is. I literally heard the song on the radio and was like, I, or not on the radio, on television. And I don't even watch television. My wife was watching television and it was on. And I was like, man, I like this tune. I was like, what is this? And it was Field Still. And I was like, who is this? You know, figured out as you guys, whatever. And I was, and now I'm just a fan. So I want to talk to you. Uh, I want to have you on the podcast. I want to talk about drumming. I want to talk about the band and, uh, and talk about your path of, of getting into the band, you know, all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But before we go down that road, let's rewind a little bit um, and just build some context about about you. You know how you got into playing. Are you are you originally from Portland, or did you move there? I like I like to get a little bit of context and backstory. Sure, uh, you know I was born in Portland, and it has been where I've been living forever. And uh, let's see, I, you know I grew up kind of just banging on the bed and the top of the record player and on tops of stacks, stacks of books and, uh, you know, using desks and basically just having to constantly wiggle and bang my hands on things. And that's the way I spent the eighties. <laughs> and, uh, then into the nineties, I started to, I guess, figure out where to really put my limbs and, uh, you know, play along to my favorite records. So were you not, you didn't do the the schooling thing of going to take lessons and learning out of the books and all that, or were you just playing along with records? Honestly, uh, I think that um, when I was growing up, I didn't really care about band. I thought that, you know, first of all, the only time I noticed the band playing was when they were supporting the football games and, and, or some kind of lame thing in the uh, gymnasium. And I was like, this is not music to me. Right. So I don't really want to be, I didn't really want to be a part of that. I was, it was way more internal. It was way more, you know, something I, I didn't I, I didn't know how to express myself yet when I was growing up in middle school, high school. I was pretty quiet, shy dude, in all honesty. So were you? I mean, you, but you were still thinking music, though, right? You were like, I want to, I want to play music. I just don't want to play in band, or I don't want to, I don't want to be in the marching band. Because I'm, cause, and the reason why I ask, because I think, I, I mean, I know I was the same exact way. You know, they, I played sports. And everyone knew I was a drummer and they're like, oh, you should be in the marching band. And I was like, I don't, I don't, that's not, it's not my thing. It, there's nothing against it, but it's just not my thing. True. Same, same for me. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, I was like, uh, you know, I don't need any extra school time, <laughs> so, <laughs> so to speak. I was really like, yeah, I, you know, I was like not having it. And uh, I was really into the drum kit though. I was obsessed over it and drooling over it all the time and, I think, you know, once I was getting a little older into my uh, early, mid-teenage years, I, I was lucky enough to uh, watch one of my best friend's older brother's bands play. And uh, we got to just watch them rehearse all the time. And they were, you know, they were into hard rock and heavy metal, double kick drum type stuff. And uh, that's when I 
really got to visualize it and see how it was laid down. And mm-hmm. I already had, I already had some things visualized and I already had some things working for me. But once, once I saw and heard the volume and felt the power of it, I was like, all right, I can do this. I just need to get my own drum set and practice in the garage. And, you know, I grabbed one. I remember I grabbed a, a sonar <laughs> and then I started collecting hi-hats, ride, crash, you name it, China, splash, <laughs> whatever started going to town and then I just and then I just kind of sort of pieced out on some types of hangouts you know I was like not interested in uh prom I wasn't interested in you know any other types of hang I'd be like I'd rather go play drums that's right. where I'm happy yeah right so what kind of what kind so what do you talk we're talking like the 80 late 80s early 90s you're talking mm, actually I would say this was more like uh around 90s Six, seven, and eight. Okay, was when those years were developing. Yeah. And so, who were you? Who were you listening to? What records were you playing along with? Mm, well, let's see. Things that were big back then were obviously things like Danny Carey was pretty awesome. He was obviously it was so much to swallow. He would. Mm. <laughs> I look back at it now, and it's funny because clearly I was only playing about thirty percent of it successfully. <laughs> And uh, same with, you know, Tim Alexander or things like that, Uh, you know, and then, you know, and then classic rock came in. I always liked the police. I loved Brad Wilk of uh, Rage Against the Machine. He he showed me how to lay down just power, you know, just play for from your heart. Well, the the reason why I was asking all this is because I think, I mean, a lot of the stuff that you're playing now is more, it's more pocket. It's more groove. Almost has like this hip hop feel to it and i was wondering how that transition happened from you being into you know the prog stuff and you know danny carey and all this other stuff and getting to that and learning you know the pocket stuff and and was that something that you really had to to hone you know after joining the band or was that something that you had started working with you know years prior yeah i would say well the other angle to that was i was really into electronic artists i was really into dj shadow and uh Aphex Twin, and I was listening to this band called Skinny Puppy, and I just, I loved how, like, uh, arpeggiation is almost like a beat and a groove in itself, mm-hmm. like with synthesizers, and, 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 and the way the way these guys used synths back in the, in the 80s, and, you know, and 70s, 80s, 90s, was really something special, and you could almost hear it as a beat and a groove in itself if it was good enough programming. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, I would, I would just kind of sort of attempt playing this stuff and i would just find my own pocket and and self in the process so i was also just trying to play along to a lot of electronic music not necessarily stuff that's so guitar driven right right right. but when you do that when you do that you do you obviously you know you develop uh severe linear grooves (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh but uh you know that's what happens when you're young and practicing so what at what point were you thinking man maybe well, yeah, I mean, sure. I was thinking more. Sure. I was thinking more. When at what point did you start thinking about uh, pushing this and and really being like, man, this is what I really want to do? Um, but yeah, I okay. Let's talk about pocket because that's prob- probably my favorite subject. Sure, it is indeed. Um, obviously, you know, Bonzo lays it down. He was huge for me. Um, good grief. Copeland, but yeah, I mean, it was, you know, Led Zeppelin was really something special for Pocket, and uh, you know, or tons of 
radio pop for that matter. I mean, I grew up just listening to the alternative station and just drawing at my desk in the 90s. I think the thing that maybe we, I'm guessing you and I are around the same age. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, so in the 90s, the stuff that was on the radio was actually good you know like the stuff sure, you, no. you, you go to the mall and you hear the, a lot of a lot of stuff on the radio you were it was it was actually good music and and there was a lot of drumming you know there was a lot of there was all, first of all it was mostly all real instruments but then it was a lot of um you know just a lot of great players i mean you it, even like on the rock side you had like jimmy chamberlain and you had you know you had all of the all of like the grunge bitch you have dave Grohl, all these other people um you know playing drums and so I think that we, I, I, I think now looking at all the pop radio, maybe not be the best idea to learn that kind of stuff. Would you agree or disagree? I would agree. Yeah. I mean, back then it was, you know, here's some good players on the radio. It wasn't, I mean, you know, you'd still have to sift through things, but yeah, without a doubt, listen to Jimmy Chamberlain, Matt, you know, Matt Cameron, good grief. Mm-hmm. And Dave, Dave Roll, of course, even, yeah, I mean, everything, even you know, Sean Kinney, Allison Chains, I, I loved them too. I mean, you know, anyone who had a killer song, you know, like it, the pocket was necessary. Otherwise, you weren't going to be on the radio. Right, right. I mean, it was it was something special. And yeah, you know, you, Flaming Lips, you name it, uh, you know, all those tunes really were something special. And it's something to internalize it when it's playing in the background, but you can hear, but you're still taking it in and you're just drawing or doing something mm-hmm. growing up. I actually just had an interesting conversation today uh, with a with a he's a psychologist, but he's a drummer. Uh, we were when we were talking about the you know how the brain works and learning drums and and whether there's an inter, there's an experiment that they did years ago with basketball players and I'll try to make it brief, but basically they had three groups of people. One group didn't shoot, didn't practice any free throws. One group sh- practiced free throws, and the others just thought about practicing. And the ones who th- who didn't do anything didn't get any better. The ones who actually took the free throws imp- increased, improved by twenty four percent, and the people who thought about it increased by twenty three percent. And never never lifted a basketball. But the and the idea we were talking about is one visualizing these things, and two, if you're watching a video or listening to a song, that your brain can actually learn. Whether you know it or not, your brain can actually start to absorb that information. And so when you go and sit down behind the kit, a song that you may have heard, you know, a song that you may have heard 20 times on the radio, you you can actually sit down and kind of play it already. And you don't, you, you psychologically, you don't even realize that you've been learning this tune over, you know, two months of hearing it on the radio. I agree. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, You know, you can practice your free throws. And I would say, you know, where that's going to come in handy for you is at the big game when you're at the away team's home court <laughs> right? and the crowd is hating on you. And yep. you have to be able to have that uh, mindset to pretend that you're just laying out some practice free throws and then you nail them. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, and or and or if you're hearing it in the background and thinking about it, at least you're thinking about your weaknesses and you're able to still put yourself in a happy place and nail it. Right, right. I think that's what that's what makes the greats great is they have that they have that mental fortitude to be able to to be able to do that and I think that's what make makes great players too when you're in different situations and and you know you're you're on tour and the back line sucks or you know this happens or that happens or you know gear gets lost and you still got to go up there and perform and and do it correctly you know sure absolutely oh I know I've 
Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> what horror stories of ba- of of backline? And- well, you know, you know, it gets better and better as uh, time goes on. But you know, yeah. What what size clubs do you guys play now, or venues? Mm, I should say. You know, I would say we average uh, two to four thousand rooms. Okay. And uh, if it's a big city, we'll maybe do a little more than that. Mm-hmm. That's a it's big rooms though. Pretty nice, you yeah. know, for sure. So what? Not quite, not quite to the arena, but uh, right, right, right. Um, well, you'll get there. You know, you'll be there. Uh, it all, it all takes time. I'm gonna tell you that. I'm sure that you guys talk about that a lot. But uh, so how did how did the whole gig come about? Like, what were you doing before? Before when did you join the band? 2008. Uh, okay, so back history was I was playing in this group, and it was kind of sort of a real fun. Uh, we, we, we were called Konami Defense System. <laughs> and it, it was it was something that one of my buddies put together. And it was basically like Devo meets, you know, Apex Twin meets Kick, Snare, Hi-Hat, and Ride for me with a crash. So no toms. And uh, I like it. I played along to, um, you know, beats and sequences in my ears. And uh, I had a blast doing that. I, I, I felt like I was in this awesome forward pushing crazy thing and it was a lot of fun but you know in all reality we only played about 25 shows in total over the course of like a year and a half two years and uh, you know we were we'd always get booked with these uh, portugal the man guys and uh, back then it was the guys on you know a drum machine and it was really almost nine inch nails like <laughs> it was really something interesting and they were they were they were brand new putting it together they were working on the first record and i think they were finishing it up and they they had had all, all the music basically all done except for live drums that they wanted to have on there mm-hmm. and so the singer john uh, hit me up after you know one of the several gigs that we'd done together and he said uh Hey man, how would you like to come up and play some drums on this record? And I was like, Oh, of course, you know, I'm completely available. Whatever, I was all open, mm-hmm. and I was really interested in in jamming with new people always at that time. This and they were at that at that point, they were just sort of a small local band, or oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, they, they they were in another group, and they were trying to reset in the name to change the the vibe and and to change what they wanted to do you know like they mm-hmm. they didn't want to do that type of music anymore so i think right. they wanted to move on and uh you know it was all it was all coming together and uh you know we went up to seattle and this was um this was late 2005 this was probably november 2005 and um you know we went into the studio right around then and basically turned around the first record of portugal the man in uh 06 sometime and so yeah, it was it was a lot of fun because it was a reverse recording process. I got to play live drums and track at a high quality studio in Seattle after basically eighty percent, eighty five percent of the music was already covered. Right, you know, right, and, right. You know, just lyrics and live drums to be done, and so it was a lot of fun to have so much to play on top of. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So that's the that's where we kicked it off. What What's Portugal the man? Where's the name come from? It, yeah, you know, that's something that we've always described and had a hard time really trying to figure out how to uh, explain it. But I think what, what John wanted was um, he envisioned, you know, how David Bowie created Ziggy Stardust, mm-hmm. how he how he all of a sudden Bowie had Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, basically like an alter ego character. He wanted to have this alternative sense of reality 
and he didn't really want to call it the John Gorley band. I feel like that would have been, he, he felt like that would have been weird. And, you know, right. it's not for everyone to be like, hey, it's the Jason band. You know, that's kind of weird. Right, right. So it was it was cool that he decided to give it an outside influence. And then, you know, in terms of the name, very random. I think he just happened to pick Portugal, the country, and choose it as the name of a character. And, you know, you could, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting to think about. I know it's, 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 it, for me, it was always like, what? <laughs> right. But, uh, I think, it's, I mean, I think it's, I think it's interesting though. I think it's, yeah. you know, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll see how, we'll see how it's ingested, but you know, like take a look at, I mean, you know, who knows if David Bowie wasn't ever massive, you know, Ziggy, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars would have just been another punk rock group band. <laughs> right. Well, it, I, I, I think it's like when I first looked it up, it was like, you know, Portugal, it's like the country. No, the man. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. so like thinking about it like that, like, you know, separating the two of being like, no, not the country, the man, the band, mm-hmm. you know, well, I think it's yeah. cool. I dig it. It's working. So, um, so what, so you joined, so when did you end up joining the band in 2000, then in 2005? It it, it was right then in 06 with the first record, because after I tracked it with the guys, you know, the next step was, I mean, they were, they were gearing up, getting ready to be moving. And so at that point, a month later, it was like, all right, well, now we're going to tour this thing. Are you interested in going out and doing some touring? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's definitely what I'm into. So, you know, at this time, I'm still holding down a job and uh, doing those types of things, working and practicing. And I was like, I'm in. And so from there, we went out and started being support for tours. But, you know, it was getting put together. We, We, you know, we needed to find management and all those things and working on indie record labels and such. But it was a slow, awesome process. Well, it seems like there was there was a little bit of was there a hiatus in terms of in terms of putting out records because it seemed like there was there was a few years where you guys didn't put out a record right mm-hmm. like- yeah uh in the in the early years uh in those beginning years we were able to turn out about one a year because all we'd have to do was put out a record and then tour usa and europe you know once or twice in that year mm-hmm. and then that's the course but you know the reason things started to take longer was because we, uh, you know, we started to extend the places we were going and or the amount of dates that we needed to cover. You know, all of a sudden we found ourselves playing more shows and having less time to work in the studio and or things like that. So more gigs created, you know, harder time to uh, figure out new music, but it was busy. And, you know, and also there was um, a little bit of uh, work to make sure that we wanted to get a bigger, better song done you know Mm -hmm. we didn't always want to just be like hey yeah this is what we got print it you know so right right we started to kind of think about things a little more and we wanted to you know the guys really wanted to work on making songs songs instead of just kind of sort of that thing that happens Mm -hmm. you know yeah there's a thing that happens where it's like hey this is the music and here it is boom but you know there can be magic if time is taken, but you know, as well, you can overthink things too. So. Yeah, of course. It's it's weird because once you get, you know, if you're in, if you're in that songwriting recording process too long, this would always happen to me that it would, if it, if it was on the shelf too long, I started to hate it. And I was like, Oh man, that we recorded that a year ago, man. Like uh, I sound like shit on drums and like, I just don't like how the tune is. It's lame, whatever it is. Like, cause you've already been listening to it for a year and now you're just like, 
I don't want to, I, you know, I want to change the whole thing. And like you said, you can overanalyze everything and, and start and start making all these changes to things that it was great when it was, when it was recorded, just leave it go. You know? I mean, that's the problem with kind of sort of pro tools and, you know, all that plugin software in general is the never ending fixing. Yeah. Your brain is too busy looking for the edit. You know, you're mousing everywhere. You're, Mm -hmm. You're just mousing around waiting for it to load instead of, breathing and letting your mind <laughs> just kind of accept life right and you know it's 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 kind of sort of like you know i was i've been talking about this a lot lately but uh like how how it was before the internet was around you know if you were if you were lucky enough to have uh you know been there then it's a neat thing to think about you know? mm-hmm. because before the internet i don't know it was it's just created so much busyness the internet has yeah, well, yeah. You know, online and just the speed of things that, that that need to occur. I'm like, come on, man. Some things don't need to be fast. Not everything needs to be one second, you know? Right. No, I Something agree, man. Needs, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not for everyone, and it's not everyone's opinion, but I, I am a fan of old school at least 50% of the time. I, uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you, and I was, I've, I've talked about this numerous times on the podcast about, about learning tunes and about practicing and things like that and now like i felt like years ago you would buy a record and you would study the record because you didn't go out and buy 80 you couldn't go out and buy 87 cds at the same time you know and and you couldn't go out and see 50 different drummers at the same time like you can now on youtube so you know i would get a new dave matthew or carter beaufort under the table and dreaming dvd or vhs and i would watch it 87,000 times and you really dive into stuff. And I think there's, I don't know, this is my personal thing. And I think that the audience gets a little bad when I talk about it like this, but I think there's a lot of surface learning. And I think that everyone's looking for the next thing instead of enjoying the thing that's there, you know, whether it be the music, whether it be, you know, the, you know, you take the bite just because you want to finish what's in your mouth so you can take the next bite or you you're listening just so you can respond rather than listening just to listen you know it's you know you've got a point and it's definitely true you know like that whole uh you know i guess i gotta call it the algorithm thing you know you're sitting there trying to process a uh an awesome jeff percaro video and then while you're trying to ingest and learn it off to the right are 10 other videos about <laughs> random lessons or grooves and you yep. don't even know if they're necessary or good. Yep. But but they're like getting shoved down your face. And so mm-hmm. yeah, like you know, think I, for yourself, try to focus. Yep. It's hard, man. It's it's it hard. hard. It's hard to focus and it's hard to you know, I actually just released a show about this. It's I think it's hard to filter, you know, like if if I really needed to study up on some straight ahead jazz, right? So I'm like, okay, I'll go in and study it or I'll, I'll go in and Google it. Well, there could be 50 videos up there of guys playing straight ahead jazz and teaching me how to play straight ahead jazz. And they may not even be playing it correctly. I don't know. True. There's no vetting process. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, lucky, like, I don't know. It's, it's, I think we're all experiencing a learning curve in the nature of that. Right. You know. How do I you... think the best thing the best thing is to see people live because when you see a, a guy in an element when you see a guy uh, having to go through a, a whole set you know play a concert it's a completely yeah. different thing you know yep you know th- there they are in their in their natural habitat there they are uh, doing the scary parts the slow parts you know the fast parts the boring parts mm. or so they think you know but to to have to go through the whole show that's something 
yeah. and, and just to ingest it all. There was a guitar player I played with for many years, and he'd always say, everybody sounds good singing in the shower. <laughs> you know, he's like, wait to put them on the bandstand and see how they sound. Well, yeah, it's true. I mean, look at it. you got You got white noise. You got a water splashing white noise behind you. <laughs> right. it's, a, it's a type of reverb. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you suggest people filter that stuff out, though? I mean, how do you suggest that they get to the bottom and get and, you know, figure out what's real and what's not? Oh boy. Loaded question of the day number seven. I mean, you know, you know, I think we're all guilty of uh, getting on YouTube and, and, and doing those things and it's neat. And there's so many guys out there with incredible chops, you know, it's, I've seen, but you know, but the thing that I have noticed and I'm glad other people have spoke up about it is that it is a little bit of a a show off session and Mm -hmm. it's, it's more about, it's become a little bit about, check out my shredding, check out my, you know, my chops and not so much about, I mean, okay, cool. How are you applying it? You know, like, how do I, how do I bring your psycho chops into my, you know, my band on or that person's band on that level, you know, so. Support for this podcast comes from Promark, and Promark's new fire grain drumsticks utilize a revolutionary heat tempering process that transforms ordinary drumsticks into precision tools with unprecedented durability. Keeping their original weight, balance, and feel, Promark fire grain sticks allow drummers to hit harder and play longer naturally. No excess vibration, no space age gimmicks, just natural hickory hardened by flame. Unlike other drumsticks that use synthetic alternatives that transmit excessive vibration, fire grain drumsticks retain their natural feel, weight, and balance that you would expect from a regular hickory drumstick. They're available now in classic, forward balance, and select balance across a variety of sizes. You can learn more by going to promark.com. Hey, if you want to learn gospel drumming, I suggest that you check out Musicians Institute in Hollywood, California. They just announced a new innovative course called Gospel Drumming, and it's taught by none other than Gordon Campbell. The dude is an industry perennial. And this new course explores the history and evolution of contemporary gospel drumming. So you'll learn essential gospel repertoire and unlock the secrets of this exciting style of drumming. To learn more, you can go to mi.ed. You, Musicians Institute, instrumental in life. Now let's get back into it with Jason Seacrest. I think there's a time and a place for things, you know, and and yeah, it's fun getting on there and watch. Like, I mean, there's just some players that I watch and it just like my head explodes. I'm like, I can't even, I just, I can't fathom being able to play that, you know, like, you know, like I watch like an Eric Moore video or like a, you know, let's just say Eric Moore, like I I watch him play and I'm like, there's no, there's no possible way I'm ever going to be able to play like this dude ever in my entire life. You like the guy, the guy's an athlete. He is an athlete. Him and Tony Royster, you know, like, I mean, that's just, that's just a handful of cats, you know, but like I, I, I watch them explode into their speed on their toms. And I think to myself, that's something I got to work on. Yeah. (laughs) But, but do I, you know, right. Do I, it's it's amazing that they can do that, and you know what? I could spend the next ten years trying to find that speed and power, and I'm like, dude, I don't know. Yeah, it might be their natural gift and talent that 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 they're shining on right there. Yep. You know, try to enjoy yours. Try try to once again focus on what seems to what seems to be inviting you into the music in general. Why why are you here? Why does this band have you here? 
It might just be for the pocket. It might be because you're amazing on the ride symbol. You know, who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, there's just you know so many things. But and I wow. mean, how old were you when you started playing drums? I mean, I didn't take it seriously until I was like 17, 18 years old. Right. So Tony Roysters started playing when he was like one and a half, right? Right, right. So my man's got 16 years of serious practice over you, you know? Oh, yeah. And I think about that too. I'm like, these, you know, like Eric Moore, same thing. He started playing. He's like, I don't remember not never. I don't remember a time when I wasn't playing drums, you know? Yeah. I, I, I don't know what it must be like for those guys, you know, like to have drums be such a, such a food source, such a, such an oxygen for their, for their mind and body. You know, for me, for me, there are definitely times when, you know, I don't want to do it, Mm -hmm. but you know, it, but uh, you know, it might just last 20 minutes. I might just be like, you know, I I don't want to think about drums right now, Right. but it might just last a half hour and then I'll want to tap on my thigh again, you know? Right. I, I, it's funny that you say that because I've, I've always been like that, but I struggled with it for a long time and I always felt bad about it. Like, if it's not my my light, that's the only thing that I do in my life, and I'm not interested in it. Like I'm just a drummer, and like, and if it didn't define me, I felt I felt shitty about it. You I know? think drummers need to step back and relax. You know, this is for any instrument, but you got to step back and relax because you know, trying to be a Royster or Eric Moore, you know, what's the? I mean, like I said, amazing, and they got killer gigs. They get killer gigs. It's awesome, and they inspire people, and it's amazing. They inspire me as well, you know, and, and, and these types of things happen with guitar and bass too, you know, but, but you have to be able to apply it musically and it has to, you have to be able to like back up another amazing artist mm-hmm. for it to take light. Yeah. And, you know, and something I think about all the time, I, I always think to myself, you know what's, you know what I think about, man, I bet you some of the best musicians are just sitting there woodshedding in their garage and bedrooms and practice spaces. And it's a, a huge shame if no one ever gets to hear about them if, if, if they just go on and they just are amazing all by themselves and then all of a sudden 10 years goes by and then they hang it up you know mm-hmm. I, I wonder about those guys and i'm like man get out there man find someone to play with somebody please yeah break what, that ice yeah. what about if if you know that your thing is you just want to be a great you know just a great basement drummer you know i don't know if i don't know if everyone wants to go out and play you know Sure, sure. Uh, well, you know, I yeah, that's like karaoke. I mean, uh, you know, I hang out with a lot of, you know, people that can sing great. And, you know, I consider, you know, I sing to myself all the time, mm-hmm. but only to, only to me. I don't really take the vocal mic much. Um, but then say I'm out at karaoke or something. I'm like, don't want to be a part of it. <laughs> right. For some reason, I, I'm like, I have to be just hammered to want to give a crap about it. Right. And so at that point, you know, at that point, I'm like, mm, I don't, you know, and then there's people that like treat karaoke like it's a, a big gig for them. <laughs> they like, they go into this mindset where they're like, it's a, it's their big concert. And I'm like, all right, man, have fun with it, I guess. But you could be doing this at an actual show. They're, uh, whoa, that was random. Some thing just started playing on my computer. Anyway, um, <laughs> we had, there was a, I think he's actually still doing it. The college that I went to, there was this guy rock, they called him rock and roll Steve and he lived in the town. And he was that guy. He like he was like literally a local celebrity and he his thing was he did karaoke and he like took it super duper seriously and you know went and and did the sh- and would sing and then when he was done he would like jet right back to the 
to the back of the room and he would sit there and like with the sunglasses on and like with his glass of water and recoup and then go back up and do another another song and he was like it was serious it was like per- he probably had the entire karaoke room or that bar basically like participating I, you know I've, you yeah. see those guys yeah. and you think to yourself all right man like is this is this it is this just kind of like a you know just a little thingy for you or, or you know do you have a group do you yeah. do you take it somewhere else yeah yeah i don't know it's an it's an interesting uh it's an interesting concept um sure I want to I want to backtrack a little bit because I think we can we can pull out some nuggets for the audience that I think would be really good. Can you talk to me about when when you guys were first starting out as a band, growing that band? Because I think that's a I I did the same thing. Um, I started a band from nothing. We grew it to you know big clubs, tour buses, all that. Um, and I I know you know how hard it is and and the work ethic behind it. But could but I did it. You know, well I guess we did it around the same time, but. Um, I'm interested to hear how you guys did it and sort of it was there strategies involved that you guys did it. Like, how did it go from you guys recording this one record to literally touring, you know, in Europe and in the States and, and then getting a record deal and getting radio play and getting a management team and all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, obviously a lot of, uh, a lot of work on every perspective on every angle has to go well, but everyone you know if they really want to tour and if you really want to tour and take this thing and give it a try obviously everyone has to get rid of so many hang-ups and you have to be generally pretty fearless about things you know get rid of all your bills get ready to live in a van try out the try out what it feels like to uh you know get in a van play a gig take that money eat and pay and put gas in the van and go to the next one and the adventure of that creates the lifestyle and it creates your need for more of it and it, and it just kind of gets you it gets you centered on what it what it feels like to uh go from club to club and city to city and just be able to kind of nail a little performance for people mm-hmm. and you know you, you you take notice to when when the crowds kind of go from 50 to 100 or 100 to 200 and that lets you know that things are going the right way right and uh, you know and you know yeah pick up management sure uh we need management you want to know why we need management because the singer and the bassist they're, they're too damn busy they're on the phone when they don't want to be on the phone anymore right they're trying why are we having to deal with all this booking and all this information you know we ain't got time for that we're we're trying to sleep and recover in the van or we're trying to uh think about the music or drive <laughs> right so, who, who was your first you, management was it did you go with a company or just someone you knew uh no we we, we interviewed a couple of guys and uh we knew we had our guy <clears throat> and this was honestly right in the beginning record one and uh, yeah, his name's rich holtzman hell of a guy and uh we knew that he was our guy because everyone else was kind of wanting to you know take us to a fancy dinner and all this stuff talk about saturday night live mm-hmm. when you only got when you can barely fill a room for 100 people right <laughs> so um we knew he was our guy when um he was on the phone we showed up to his office and uh someone was like hey the band's here to see anything like, yeah yeah all right uh tell him i'll be in a couple minutes or something i'll go again i'll be there eventually so we had to sit around and wait for him and then he's just like he shows up and he's like all right so what do you want <laughs> kind of what do you want you know and we're like well, we want a manager and then that was that we liked his uh we liked his punk rock attitude and <laughs> we, it was clear that uh, you know he was able to take care of business and 
and then that really helped. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously, I mean, we've had incredible help throughout the years and incredible opportunities. I can't lie, but you got to make those opportunities fruitful for the next show. And so you got to play your heart out and, you know, you got to hope that people like your music. I mean, I've gone to many festivals and I've gone to many gigs and been like, you know, yay, nay about it. Right. But, you know, just, you know, if you got a hundred people in the room, try to try to win their hearts. You're not going to win everyone's hearts, but you can't take it to heart either. Right. You got to, you got to crush shows. You got to crush a lot of gigs mm-hmm. and, and, and finding and finding, you know, how this all works and get those hundred people to tell their friends and, you know, yeah, hang out, hang out, have a couple of, have a couple of cold ones and uh, high five some people and, you know, get to know people mm-hmm. and really culture yourself on the cities everywhere. Yeah, that was one thing that we'd always do is, you know, set breaks after the show we would always be out talking to people meeting everyone and but we also knew everyone in the club so we knew the bouncers we knew the you know we knew the if there was crew we knew the crew we knew the security guards we knew the bartenders we knew you know the stage hands we knew everyone involved and treated them all like they were part of the team and they liked that and we would we would get compliments on it or comments on it a lot where people were like man you guys are just you guys are the coolest band that comes in here and we're like, well, we're not the coolest band that comes in here. We're just, we may be the nicest though, you know? It's pretty nice to be nice. You got to be nice. Yeah. Um, it's helpful to, you know, be cool to the community. Uh, boy, I tell you, if you're, if you're, if you're a, if you're a bad dude to the monitor guy, oof, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you never know what could happen. <laughs> yep. Yep. So. You don't want to mess with, you don't want to mess with the people who are controlling your sound or controlling your food. True that. Be, be nice. Come yeah. on, be nice out there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. What? How did you? How did you land? You know, like how did you land the meeting with uh with Rich, or how did you land mm. with other managers? Because like, I mean, I I know even experience with us in the beginning, I would call me like, hey, you know, we're looking for a manager. And they're like, click. You know. Sure. You know, I bet to my uh, knowledge, best I can remember, uh, you know, I think it was probably through possibly through our, you know, pure luck and or a combination of us already having, you know, some indie record label set up. And so, mm-hmm. you know, since we we're already slightly on in, independent, you know, but, you know, I mean, we're talking, you know, we, we maxed out credit cards to get a van and trailer, all that, all that stuff. You know, we, right. we bought our own gear. Everything was, everything was the way it was supposed to be. And, you know, so, you know, when you do that, I guess a manager in the record labor, like, all right, look, you know, it's, it's not like they need everything in the world. They just need a little bit of your help. Let's give them a go. Right. Right. Yeah. I think putting in the work early and getting, you know, proving that you're willing to to have some skin in the game and proving that you're you're willing to sacrifice rather than because I think a lot of times, you know, bands will go to managers or booking agents or or labels and they're looking for the them to do it all themselves, you know, and they say, "Hey, you know, we need a record label." Okay, what have you done? Have you pressed your own have you, you know, pressed your own record? Nobody presses records anymore, but have you put, you know, have you recorded your own record? Have you toured at all? Have you are you booking shows? Do you have you know, do you, are you, are you putting asses in the seats? All of those things I think goes a long way when you're going to, when you're going up to try to get a label or try to get a, you know, an agent or a, or a manager or something like that. It's, I mean, it's very, 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 very true all that because, um, yeah, like, you know, I've had so many friends who play music as well on so many different levels and, you know, one of them comes up to me a few times and he's like, Hey man, so, you know, like, how do I do it? 
I'm like, well, what do you mean? How, how do you do it? I mean, I, I think that my, my answer every time was just like, man, you got to play gigs. Yeah. You got to play gigs and you got to experience the highs and lows of every situation possible. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, what, what do you mean? Like, are, do you think that, uh, do you think that you're just going to get some type of thing given to you like that? You're, you're not going to go from a rehearsal space to be like opening for Queens of the Stone Age. And you know, just I don't think so. Right. People, right. you know, you gotta play gigs. Yeah, I, there's there's a weird thing about people being selective about their gigs and you know, no, I'm not gonna do that and I don't know. I don't like that attitude though. That's what I mean. Like, you know, come on, bleed for it, bleed for it and uh play. Uh have strangers in the crowd see you and uh, and and be wowed or not wowed. Right. You know, like Put in, put in the, the work, really. Right. That's the, the best way to, to be confident and to feel like you've earned yourself too. What's that? Uh, I'm gonna butcher, it, but there's a saying like if you wanna, if you wanna achieve nothing, what is it? Do nothing, say nothing. You know, uh, it's something like that. Basically, like if you don't want to achieve anything, just don't do anything. But if you do, you gotta do something about it. You gotta, you know, as as my buddy always says, you gotta go, yads. You gotta get off your ass and do something. <laughs> Through that, you know, and, uh, you know, one, one that I always was puzzled on until it made all the sense in the world was this Bill Bruford thing. And it was when in doubt, roll out. And I kind of loved it. Yeah. And I was like, you know, when you see it in print, you're like, what the hell is he talking about? If you're right. like 17 years old, you're like, what's he talking about? Right, right, right. But when you've played your shows and you've experienced these situations, you know, oh, roll out. Okay. You can roll in and roll out of something. Snare mm-hmm. drum. You name it. Wow impressive thank you bill yeah <laughs> yeah he's uh he's great I've, I've actually talked to him about coming on here and he wrote a very uh very long email back to about you know specific he's a very specific guy you know and he's like here's if we're all right if we're gonna do it like here's what i want to talk about i don't want to talk about this you know which i respect i, I respect that you know like what sure he's he's bill bruford you know He's a master. He's right. a master. And how many interviews and conversations has that dude had? You know, I'm sure he doesn't feel like, you know, rehashing the same stuff a thousand times. So True. Uh, what's been some of the hardest, some of the hardest parts about, about the growth for you as a player? Probably, uh, you know, it's like the more successful you get, the more you got to be away from home. Yeah. <laughs> so, so for me, you know, are you married kids, anything? Well, you know, I just had my first kid. Oh yeah, yeah. We were just talking about that. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Two weeks, two weeks old now. Um, Wow. Yeah, I know. Awesome. Here I am. It's finally happened, and uh, it's awesome. It's it's an amazing experience. It's yeah, that's happening. It's great. He's like a a neat new best friend. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we're we're, sorry. Where were we here? Uh, Just talking about the sort of some of the growing pains of the band getting more and more. Because I, I, and I'm guessing, and I may be wrong about this, but is is right now sort of the the peak of where you guys have been so far? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could be you could be booked for six months, nine months straight, with literally a week off per per every six to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And when it's that aggressive and then, and then you got, say you got that week off, you know, say you're like, Oh man, I just want to take my lady to the coast. All of a sudden, boom, you know what? Hey, uh, Paris needs you for a thing. Or, uh, you know, we got this, uh, we got this uh, festival or a neat opportunity in Europe or somewhere. Right. And, you know, we got to do radio promo and yeah. Yeah. Sheboygan. Boom. You got it. You, oh, Hey, you're home for 10 days. 
time to uh, time to do a music video for three three days of it, you know, four right. days of it. So you got to learn how to uh, always be always be able and, and and ready to like deal with surprise of the day moments. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm one of those guys. It's like, man, I really want to know what's going on. I'm 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 really good at I'm really into planning my my life and my day, so so to speak. I, you know, but. There's always those surprises, and, and you have to be able to uh, smile and uh, smile it off, and remember that it's there for you, and it's a it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Has are you touring? Would you say you're touring now than than you guys were before? I, I mean, I feel like you guys have always sort of been on the road, though, right? Yeah, I mean, the band toured a lot in its early portion of the years, just because. I mean, what's the point of going home and not making any money if we can make money and be a part of it? You go home, and after about two weeks, you kind of like sitting there kicking rocks right and going going like man i want to be back on the road and I, I ain't really got no money so why don't we go it's fun out there you know it, mm-hmm. it ends up being fun out there and and it's you know it's it's a it's a wonderful thing in your, in your late 20s to experience your 20s in general but it is it's you know the more established thing. you get the more established relationships get but you know yeah it, it's wild you know you'll you'll experience everything you'll experience family and friends dying on you and you're not home, all sorts of things, highs and lows. Yeah, yeah. Mostly, I mean, from what I my experience has always been, it's. I mean, especially at that age, man, it was just it was awesome. Like just being in a different town every night, meeting all these new people, the just the memories, and you know, in the beginning when there's eleven teen guys in a hotel room, and you know. <laughs> oh sure! Like, wow, I can't believe that. Can you can you believe that we? That's definitely that definitely happened for years. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be like one hotel room, please. Yep. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, six, seven, you name it, or the other band joins in and there you have it. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I remember when we got, I remember getting two hotel rooms Yeah, and I was like, made it, we made it. <laughs> and there was, they were suites. So there was like a little, there was like a living room and then there was like two beds in the bedroom or whatever. I was like, man. I was like, we made it. We like, it was like, what else do we need? It's kind of sort of why I'm obsessed with showers now. Like <laughs> yeah. to me, to me, when I get in my hotel room, I'm like, all right, man. Oh god, I just hope that the bathroom's real nice. Yeah, because you know, you you, you go through so many years of uh, of being kind of crusty, and you know, playing a gig, getting completely soaked in your clothes, letting those clothes dry on you, hopping in the van, and sleeping sideways on a bench seat yeah and then repeat process Mm -hmm. you know i mean so you really learn to appreciate and love your showers after a certain moment in life yeah yeah or they're like oh you can take a shower at the venue and you're like "Mm, i'm not gonna take a shower in that thing man some of them are intense (laughs) yeah some of them are really nice though but some of them are you know a, a tin bucket with a hose and they're like there's the there's the shower there's only cold you yeah. can only take cold out. I mean, it, like right when you're done playing, jump in. You can handle it. Yeah. <laughs> so what? Uh, so looking forward to the future. What What are you excited about for for 2018? What do you guys have going on? I know you guys are, and you, I mean, you guys are kind of on the road right now too, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Like right now, I'm on a very very small break, just uh, you know, coming to uh, get to know my son and and hang out with him, and uh, you know, we got. Half the month of December filled up. We got things popping in January. We got a tour in February. And, you know, that's just for the U.S. So things are going to be real busy all of 2018. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, 
like I said, being on tour and, and, and getting to be out there and play constantly is how you get to run into all those other great drummers out there and how you get to see them see him play and, and, and ingest it all. That's the greatest thing about being yeah. out there on the road. You're not going to, you're going to, you're not going to get it as much at home sitting around at home. The more you participate in the festivals and, and, and all the gigs and bouncing around, that's when you get to run into all the other amazing drummers out there. Yeah. And, it, and there's just, you know, the opportunities happen and all it's like, it's like what we said about getting out there and, and, you know, if you're, if you're in the arena, a lot of, a lot of great things happen. So I'm trying to yeah. look at. Uh, oh, you guys are playing all. Uh, I'm, I gotta. I'll come see you guys in either in, like in L.A. or something. Okay, for sure. Yeah. Sorry, I was just looking. I was looking at the date. So for anyone who wants to come see you guys, uh, they can just go to portugaltheman.com. All your dates are on there. All that fun stuff. And if people want to follow you personally or want to keep up with with what you got going on, where's the best place that they can do it? You know, I do Instagram. That's about it, I think. And I think you can find me at Jason Seacrest. Pretty simple. Cool. But you know, honestly, I try. I try to balance, uh, you know, a little bit of social media, uh, but then mostly keep life raw and real. I can I can appreciate that. I I agree, man. And it's uh, it's hard, but because you know, it's it's advantageous to be on social, but then it's also you know very uh, it's a very bad idea to spend a lot of time on social at the same time. So you gotta you gotta walk that line for sure. Through that. For sure. Well, Jason, I want to uh, I want to thank you for for taking the time to chat, man. I, I like I said, I'm a I'm a I'm a fan. I've been listening to you guys ever since I found you guys on the on television. I uh, I've been listening to you guys all the time, so I'm really just just really dig the music, and I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's hang, and uh, you know, let's uh, have you come to a show and catch it live, and uh, you know, we'll hang out. That'd be great. Cool, man. Thank you so much. That was Jason Seacrest from Portugal, the man. I hope you dug that, and I hope that you will do yourself a favor. If you're not already, go listen to some Portugal, the man. It, you will you will dig it. And uh, I appreciate him taking the time to chat with me. And it's such a cool story. They, they started 13 years ago, and they're finally getting their due. So it just goes to show you that... You know, hard work pays off and it may take longer than, than expected or it may take longer than you hope. But if you keep working, you can you can get some progress there. So a great conversation. I hope you dug it. And if you dig this podcast, one thing people always ask what they can do to support it, share it. Anytime you see that we release a new episode, share it on Instagram, share it on Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. That lets more people know about it. Share it with your students, your drumming friends, your musician friends. That would be very much appreciated. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.